Optimal health for high performers. This is the Health Upgrade Podcast with Dr. Nawaz Habib. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Health Upgrade Podcast. We're very excited to have uh, a very special guest here today. It's Dr. Marcus Sorelli. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Sorelli. Thanks for having me. We'd love to get started just hearing a little bit about your story, what got you into functional practice, how you uh, came into experiencing the functional lifestyle and and uh, understand what you do with your patients. Yeah. So my background is I'm a chiropractor by training. And what kind of got me into this whole realm is I was a patient myself at one point. I feel like most practitioners who are in this realm had some kind of their own health issues. And it didn't really didn't trigger what was going on until I was actually about a year into practice. I My last year of chiropractic school, as you know, boards, finding a job, uh, finishing all your exams, it was a lot of just stress on the body. And I started experiencing some health issues, kind of neglected them, didn't really pay much attention to them at the time, kind of thought, I'm, I'm young, I'm, you know, whatever, 20, 24 at the time, I can push through this, I'll be okay, or 26 at the time. But then things started to get worse. You know, I, I started practice, things got busy. I, I noticed my stress was a lot higher than what it should have been. And then I started getting digestive issues. I had gone to actually conventional medicine first, which I don't know why I did that, but uh, try to get an idea of what was happening, what was going on. They ran a couple of tests on me and said, hey, nothing's really shown up on here. You know, there's not much we could do. Take some Miralax, move on. That was basically what they told me. So I actually, about a year into practice, Dr. Hyman, who's at the Cleveland Clinic right down the road from me here, uh, he was speaking at the University of Akron. I went and saw him and he was speaking about functional medicine, which I had never heard of at the time. It was all new for me. It really opened my eyes. I was like, okay, this is something that aligns with chiropractic. It's, it's all, you know, nutrition-based. It's all lifestyle changes, which is what I was preaching anyways to my patients. So I kind of adapted these own principles into my own life, you know, cleaned up my diet, you know, cut out gluten, cut out dairy completely, started working on my stress levels, started to, you know, get better sleep, started to move my body more. So all the stuff that I tell my patients to do, I was actually doing it myself for once instead of, you know, I was, I was kind of my own worst enemy, I guess it's the best way to look at it. And that's when things started to shift. I started, started to feel better. What I didn't realize though, was that, like what was actually driving everything was kind of chronic stress in the body just because of the, the boards, the finals, and then starting to practice. It was just a lot at one time. But yeah, it was a chronic stress that was driving my GI issues, my brain fog, my fatigue, all these symptoms that I was having. So once I realized how powerful functional medicine was, that's when I really adopted that, added that to my practice. And it's kind of been no looking back since then. A lot of parallels between your story and mine both chiropractors by training, both had our own health issues, both introduced to functional medicine by one of the main gurus in the functional space right now and uh, utilize the tools to fix ourselves. And so it's a really cool thing for me to hear the story from your perspective. It's so aligned to what I do and and how I uh, found these tools. And so tell me a little bit about how you implemented some of these strategies in practice with your patients and really started to implement that functional lifestyle. Yeah. So I, I mean, I was always preaching, clean up your diet to people. I mean, as you guys know, our food today is totally different than what our grandparents ate and it continues to get worse and worse and we're lacking nutrients. Everything's processed. It's GMOs everywhere. So uh, that's something I've always kind of preached, find a local farmer, find someone that you trust, raising your own food, find, you know, buy grass-fed cow or grass-fed, you know, or pasture-raised pigs and things like that. So that's something I'd always done. 
Um, and then I started incorporating more like the lifestyle. So it's like, let's make sure we're sleeping eight hours a night, which the average American sleeps five, which is crazy. And people wonder why they're sick and <laughs> they have all these issues. The average person's sitting all day for at least eight hours and they go home, they sit on the couch even longer. So I started, you know, incorporating like, let's get some movement into our daily routine. Um, but the biggest thing was I was always looking for, because everybody's under stress, no matter who you are, even if you say you don't have stress, you have stress, you're lying to yourself if you say you don't have stress. That was the biggest piece that I was kind of missing and looking for. Uh, and I'd always knew about the vagus nerve, but never knew, you know, what can I do to stimulate it? What can I do to help people shift back from that, you know, fight or flight into that rest and digest state? So the more I was learning, more I was kind of researching on my own, the vagus nerve kept popping up, popping up, popping up. And I started real basic. I mean, started with box breathing exercises and, and cold therapy and humming and chanting and gargling, the basic stuff. And now I know about this vagus nerve simulator, which is a great thing. And it's very powerful. So trying to incorporate that more. But those small changes actually make a huge difference. I mean, an amazing difference with people, especially from a stress standpoint. And a lot of the patients I see are high anxiety, a lot of digestive issues, which that's that vagus nerve firing more than what it should. And that that, that fight or flight state. So really working on that's been a real game changer from a patient perspective too. Yeah, I love the fact that you you're recognizing that it doesn't have to be dramatic changes in your lifestyle in order to affect really large changes. We often talk about the fact that the first 20% of your effort does 80% of the benefit or it gets 80% of the job done. That's really true in this situation as well. One of the little things that I like to talk to people about is the parallel to training for a marathon. So I don't know, you, uh, other people are just going to be listening to this or not seeing you. You look like you're in pretty good shape. And, you know, I'm a runner and I've done a few marathons. And in the training for them, there's a, a technique called the Callaway technique, which is you run for nine minutes and walk for one minute. And it seems like, wow, you're going to be walking, you know, 20 plus times during this race. How are you possibly going to get a good time? And it turns out that that one minute of walking that allows your body to not not so much rest because you're still moving, but it allows it to help get rid of the lactic acid buildup that's in the muscles. And even though it's just one minute every 10 minutes, it it can completely change your experience of running long distance. I say the same thing to people who are living in those Western, Western modern world where you have stresses and you're constantly connected and you're always having demands on you, whether they be work, family, personal, otherwise. And what I tell people is, I said, just look at the clock. And when it gets to 9.55 in the morning, 10.55, 11.55, take the five minutes from 9.55 to 10 o'clock and do that every hour. And just during that, during that time, do a little check-in. Check in with your body, check in with your mind, check in with just something as simple as, do, it, do you have to go to the bathroom? Have you been waiting to go to the bathroom for three hours? That's not such a good thing. Go to the bathroom. Or do you need a, a drink of water? Do you need to stretch? Do you need to? And in fact, I would suggest doing some stretching, doing some deep breathing, doing something during those five minutes to let your body come down off that stressed state where you might be grinding your teeth even and chill out. And when you do that, that allows your body, even just for a few minutes, to be in that, that rest, digest, and restore state. That can be enough to hit the reset button and allow your body to handle the stress. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And don't get on your phone. I tell people that all the time. <laughs> you're going to use five minutes to stay off your phone. That's not, that's not a relaxing thing. That's going to cause more stress. So, I, but I agree with you. And that's, that's what's five minutes. Five minutes is nothing, you know, the course of your day. That's not much at all. 
you're going to you're going to get that back in the next 15 minutes easily because you're going to be more focused you're going to be more frankly more creative more productive so don't view it as a lost 5 minutes view it as a gained hour or two by the end of your day because you took the time yep absolutely absolutely i agree with you there 100% <laughs> so with respect to diet and some of the things that you cuz that's clearly where you started what are some of the things that you're suggesting? You clearly said avoid, you know, GMO food, be, uh, you know, get something that's really still got the nutrients in it, local farmer, that sort of thing. What are some of the things you, you, you know, advise people and how do you get them to do it? What are some of your tricks to get people to do that? Because changing diet is a very difficult thing to get people to do. That's by far the hardest thing, for sure. I mean, no, no doubt about it, and especially today because there's so much confusion. I mean, there's a million diets out there. And I had a guy come in, I'll never forget this. This is probably a couple months ago. He ate nothing but potatoes for like three weeks straight. I've never heard of this diet before. I thought I heard of everything. And he only ate potatoes. And I'm like, oh, but I lost 40 pounds. And yeah, but yeah, I was like, well, how do you feel? And he's like, well, I feel like sh- crap. And I'm like, well, no kidding. That's, yeah. what, what do you expect? I mean, that's going to be, yeah, yeah. But the easiest thing, what I usually start people with is more like a paleo type diet. That's kind of my shift to go towards because then you're eating, you know, you're cutting out the dairy, the gluten, and the sugar. Those are the big three inflammatory foods. I always start with those. And I tell people, you know, it's a, I have a pyramid, a picture that I show them. This is by far the easiest diet we can start with. We can always get more restrictive, but let's start here. Let's see how your body reacts, see how you respond. I always provide them with a ton of resources. So recipes, you know, a shopping list too, because I try to make it as easy as possible for them. If it's a male patient, I try to bring the the spouse in because usually she's the one that's doing the cooking or at least con- contact her, have my nutritionist contact her. So she's kind of aware of what's going on too. But that's where I usually like to start. It's more like a paleo type diet. This way I'm removing those inflammatory foods. Increasing water intake is a huge one. So many people are, are chronically dehydrated and have no idea. And that's leading to a lot of these digestive issues and brain fog, fatigue, things like that. But yeah, that's where I like to shift. And then, and then we, I'm always trying to sprinkle in, you know, let's eat local. Let's, let's try to get what's in season as much as we can. People don't realize that once something's picked, you know, say you pick an avocado, within three days, it's losing 30% of those nutrients. So you're losing so much. So by the time it goes from Mexico to Ohio and it sits on the shelf for, you know, a week before you take it, you've lost 70% of the nutrients that's in there to begin with. So that's where trying to trying to eat as local as possible is important. And I do have some local farmers and CSAs in the area. So I'm always handing out their cards to try to get my patients to kind of shift to them as well. You know, one of the things that about sugar, because I'm a I'm a big believer that there's 50 different types of sugar out there. And, you know, your body can can use some of it very well and it's actually useful. Other types of sugar are 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 really toxic and 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 are gonna damage you. Um, unfortunately, most of the ones that are toxic and are, are being pumped into foods uh, left and right by the by the uh, the big food companies. But um, I, I've recently, and this is really as a result of reading a book about mitochondrial health, been starting to use D-ribose as yep. uh, my sweetener as opposed to you know standard Domino sugar. And I found that it's it's it has had a really positive effect on my endurance. My, um, when I'm, when I've been running, I've noticed, you know, as I get older, I'm approaching 55, my, uh, my it's the first time I've actually said that, um, <laughs> my, 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 uh, my endurance is starting to drop and I still try to do eight to 12 miles a day, but I can tell that I have to break it up because I can't do that all in one run anymore the way I used to. And, but just within the last several weeks to, to a month now where I've been choosing D ribose as my, as my sweetener. And trying to avoid all others, my endurance has gotten better. 
I'm getting to the point, you know, back where, you know, hey, I'm just going to go out and do the eight miles right now, get it done. And that's, that's been pretty exciting. So I'm glad to hear that you're talking about the importance of sugar, but, you know, getting people to switch away from using table sugar and, and, and artificial sweeteners and other things, just to using something as simple as D-ribose, which is critical for so many different things in your body, seems like a, a pretty good thing to add in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, these kind of go back to what you said, these food manufacturers, they know what they're doing, right? They're making these foods as, as addictive as possible because they want people to keep buying them and using them. And that's where that sugar comes into play. And we've seen the studies now, sugar is more addicting than cocaine. We, we know that. I mean, it's been proven over and over again. So it, it is, it's sad that it's come to this point, but it, it's the big food, big, big food companies. They're, they're doing it. They're getting people addicted. And then it's, once you're on that roller coaster, it's hard to get off. It really is. Very difficult. Very difficult. You know, just maybe a question for me because I'm I'm relatively new to using it. Um, cooking with D-ribose, any any reason why it can't be used in cooking? I, I would think not, but just wondering if you guys have any uh, any information about that, or if a listener out there wants to to write back to us, we'd appreciate it. But any uh, any thoughts on cooking with it? Does it chemically change um, in a way that would you know be a negative? That I'm not aware. I mean, from a high heat standpoint, it depends on you know, how high you're taking that heat when you're cooking with it. I could see it maybe denaturing it a little bit, but I'm not 100% familiar with that one in terms of what it would change. But that's okay. anything. If you heat up too much, you're going to change it structurally and you know chemically. So, But I'm a nerd, so I'll probably look this up now that we talked about it. So. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Appreciate that. Yeah, I don't honestly know myself, but I will, I'll concur that if you go too high heat, it'll likely trigger... Uh, some change, but that again, both of us are nerds, and we're both going to look this up right after we should figure it out. <laughs> Any other supplements that you uh, you tend to suggest to people to use? I, I know uh, anti-inflammatory things are, are 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 big and really important, but any any others that you have out there, or or even within the anti-inflammatory world? Yeah, I mean, so there's always a handful of supplements that I like to use. I mean, if there's like three things I can use the rest of my life to be magnesium, B vitamins and, and vitamin D. Those are your big nutritional deficiencies. That's what, you know, 350 different reactions magnesium is involved in vitamin D is in 300 different reactions. B complex are involved in, I don't know how many different reactions, but they're pretty much in everything. So those are kind of like my big three that I use on a lot of people. And then I do a lot of testing too, to figure out, okay, nutritional deficiency wise, what's showing up. Omega threes is another good one. I know it's a big topic right now because Cleveland Clinic said they're not good for you apparently, but with how many omega-6s people are eating nowadays, you need that good balance. Omega-3s get you back, especially hormone, brain, health, cholesterol, health. So, but I, I like I like to use testing to give me a better idea. Okay, what actually does somebody need in terms of getting things back? I do a lot of, of gut work too. So, you know, depending on what shows up on stool testing, I'm using certain supplements for that. But like I said, if I use three the rest of my life, magnesium, vitamin D, and, and some kind of B complex. I'm going to guess that... Uh, we do very similar testing in our practices with our patients. I know for a fact you use a very similar uh, stool test, the GI map test uh, for gut testing. I'm a huge proponent of that one myself. Um, what testing do you use to help identify some of those nutritional deficiencies? Yeah, so Genova has a really good test called the NutriEval. I'm a big fan of that one. That one shows your most common nutritional deficiencies. So it'll give you a better idea of what's what's in the body, what's not in the body. Um, I do organic acid testing too. So that kind of gives me some better ideas of where deficiencies might be. Um, those are kind of my big two go-tos for, for those things there. Yeah, I'll completely concur. I'm on exactly the same page as you. Um, they're great tests. They're great to know 
deeper down, right? We we often get these patients come in with blood work and they're like, hey, I have LDLs here and hemoglobin A1C is here. And we we see that there's some imbalance, but nothing is out off in, in a place where it needs to be diagnosed as a major condition. And but there are some suboptimal findings. And what I find nutritional uh, like Nutraval or organic acid testing to be really capable of is helping to identify those one level down deeper nutritional deficiencies that are affecting mitochondrial function, that are affecting detoxification in the liver, that are affecting specific nutritional deficiencies that are required for a lot of cellular processes. And when the cells get the nutrients that they're that they require, then they're capable of doing the work that they're cap- that they need to do, right? And mitochondria being this broad set within this whole area, that's such an important area to get the nutrients into. And I know B vitamins are a huge piece of that. Amino acids being a big piece of that whole Krebs cycle and uh, electron transport chain pathway. So I, I completely concur with regards to the testing and being able to identify what those, what the reason for those suboptimal findings might be or catching it before it becomes uh, a finding on blood work. Right. And I think that's a lot of people are aiming towards now is catching things before they become an issue, right? That's what I think COVID's kind of made that shift with a lot of people, which is a positive and that's how you should look at your health. But I, I think, I, yeah, I think prevention is going to be kind of the key moving forward here with a lot of people, especially people 50 and younger, they kind of want that. Okay. I don't want to have neurological diseases and dementia and Alzheimer's. So what can I do now to help prevent those things? I think that's going to be huge. Uh, you know, you were talking about mitochondrial health and I'm on a bit of a kick about mitochondria right now, diving into mitochondrial theory of aging, et cetera. Um, one of the things, uh, one of the supplements that I'm also now taking as a result of that research is CoQ10. Obviously very important in the electron uh, transport chain. and apparently 90% of the population is deficient in their CoQ10 uh, intake. So I would, uh, is that something that you oftentimes see or test for, or just advise people to make certain that they're taking CoQ10? Yeah, CoQ10 is a big one. Um, so number one, if somebody's on a statin, 100%, like you're taking a CoQ10, I don't care who you are. If you're taking a statin, you, you need this by far. The organic acid test does kind of give you a, a general idea if that might be needed. So Carnitine, alpha-lipoic acid, CoQ10, those are kind of the big ones. I always, it doesn't show me on testing, but NAD or NMN is also a very good supplement too for mitochondrial health. So if I see that the mitochondrial markers are shifting or low, I usually start with like an NMN first, but CoQ10 is another great one. Alpha-lipoic acid, carnitine, all these things are great to help stimulate that mitochondria get them working again. So there's lots of options out there. Right. Yeah. yeah. PQQ also, I think, is... Uh, PQQ, really, yeah, included with the CoQ10 usually yeah. a little bit. Uh, resveratrol is another good one that's come, gained a lot of popularity recently too. So those the research shows NMN and resveratrol together that, you know, going from here to here is such much more benefit to it. So trying to layer those guys in together is it's a great thing. What's your take on, on um, aging and uh, antioxidants versus mitochondrial theory? Although I think they're probably two sides of the same coin. Uh, any, uh, any, just intuition in, in your mind about that? Yeah, I mean, I always tell people, I mean, we're all aging, right? And I mean, you can't stop it. You can't you can't prevent it, but can you slow it down and make yourself healthier and, and prevent some of these things like Alzheimer's dementia? Absolutely. But that's just, you know, that goes beyond just supplements. That's that's your whole lifestyle. That's the, the sleep component we talked about, the exercise component, you know, toxic exposure and avoidance. That's a huge one too, in terms of damaging mitochondria and, and increasing aging. 
And then diet plays a big role in that. So all those combinations, they go together. But increasing antioxidants is a great thing. You know, protecting your cells as much as you can. Why not? It can only help. But unfortunately, we're all aging. We're all going to die at some point. I, I think there's some, I don't want to say gurus, influencers out there, but like Dave Asbury, for instance, thinks he's going to live to he's 180 years old, which to me is, you know, hey, by all means, that's fine. But I, I, I'm, when it comes to aging, I, I'd rather have my, my quality of life versus, you know, the quantity. And I think so many, so many people right now are more stuck in that quantity aspect versus the quality. I've had three grandparents have Alzheimer's and that's seeing that is a big motivation for me not to lead down that road. So it makes you want to take care of yourself a little bit better. And I always tell people, if you really want to take care of yourself, go to a, you know, a retirement home and see how people live. You're in a box this big. No one ever comes to visit you. You don't know who you are anymore. You're in diapers. That should be enough to kind of scare you and make you want to take better care of yourself. For sure. So, For sure. Yeah. Completely agree with that as well. And just to kind of point to some of those nutritional challenges that we tend to have because diet is not ideal. And and there's such a uh, an important missing piece in the conventional system that functional practitioners are very focused on, and that is gut health. Where do you find that there are particular findings or things that you've noticed in practice that you find on a GI map or a stool test? that really do link to a lot of these nutritional deficiencies. Yeah. So organ function wise, right? I mean, I think from like an absorption standpoint, if you, if you look at the GI map and you see maybe there's low stomach acid, for instance, okay, you can almost guarantee there's going to be B12 deficiency, magnesium, zinc. Um, you'll see those kind of deficiencies. If there's some kind of you know leaky gut or intestinal hypopermeability, you can almost guarantee there's going to be a ton of deficiencies there. Um, if the gallbladder is not working the right way, then you're going to see, you know, your fat soluble vitamins being low. So there's a lot of correlation there. Definitely. So I'm always looking at, okay, what's organ function like first, kind of give me an idea. Um, and then if the microbiome's off, you're not going to be producing B12 or K2 the right way. So there's, there's a lot of connections there with, with deficiencies. Yeah, no question about it. There's, there needs to be uh, a good functioning gut and that microbiome connection is so important to being able to absorb those nutrients. We need to have a symbiotic relationship with those bacteria. And I'll just kind of point to a couple of things that I'll often find. It's it's less commonly, but it does happen quite a bit still, uh, that there are excessive levels of dysbiotic or overgrowth bacteria, guys that really shouldn't be there. But what I find more often than not is actually a lack of the good guys, the keystone commensal bacteria, the guys that need to be there to help maintain that symbiotic relationship. And when they're lacking, what we often are, are getting is uh, the inability to absorb these ideal foods, right? And the leaky gut and intestinal hyperpermeability challenges occur way more commonly, especially now with the new research on Acromantia mucinophila and uh, Fecalibacterium presnutsii, and we're seeing like the, the difference between probiotic supports with lactobacillus and bifidobacter being the primary strains that are present in all of these probiotics out there, but they're missing a lot of these important areas that, that are now able to be tested for. So more commonly than not, I'll find that there are low levels of good bacteria, low levels of necessary bacteria. And when that happens, we then have poor organ function, poor absorption, and, and bigger challenges occurring. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there, yeah. Yep. And of course, leaky gut leads to inflammation, and inflammation is really at the core of of every ill that we have. I mean, that's uh, we wouldn't feel bad if it weren't for 
inflammation. We can have things going wrong with us that we don't feel, but it's when the inflammation arises that you actually start to to experience and perceive the illness itself. So uh, in terms of ways of, of reducing inflammation, what are, what are some of the key, key techniques, key go-to uh, products or go-to strategies that you use? Yeah. So from a, like a supplement standpoint, I'm a big fan of curcumin, turmeric. Um, pure encapsulation makes a really good product called curcumazorb. That's probably one of my favorite ones. I tend to use that a lot. Your omegas are a good anti-inflammatory too. So I'm also a big fan of boswellia as long as the patient can handle it okay. Um, so boswellia, probably my number two, number three anti-inflammatory that I use. But then, you know, where's this inflammation coming from? What's driving it? A lot of times it's going back to that diet. You know, what are you eating? What kind of inflammatory foods are you putting in your body? Where's that food coming from? What kind of chemicals is your body not recognizing and be able to break down that's driving that to begin with? So I'm always trying to preach, all right, let's start with, you know, a good clean diet first, reduce as much inflammation through that, and then we can kind of layer those supplements on top of it if we need to. Excellent. Anything that you think from a from a a lifestyle change, I mean, exercise is obviously good, sleep, things like that. Anything else that you suggest to people? I mean, obviously getting people to gargle for 20 minutes isn't isn't the solution <laughs> you feel or, or Gregorian chants. But what what other things do you suggest? Yeah. So kind of going back to like even like that Vegas nerve shift and back from an anti-inflammatory standpoint, you know, take your nice hot shower the last 30 seconds to a minute and a half in it with cold. That's an easy, simple thing that you have to build up to because I know it's a little painful at first and nobody likes that. But that's a that's an easy thing to add in. And then I'm a big fan of, of doing some kind of breathing exercise, too. And really, you don't need much, you know, five, 10 minutes a day. Uh, some kind of breathing exercise kind of shift you back into that rest and digest state, which is also going to help reduce some inflammation in the body. Um, so those are kind of my easy, and these, these these are free things too. People don't realize you don't have to go out and spend you know hundred dollars on supplements to do these things. These are easy and free, and you can you can do them at home. It's it's sort of that pa- Paleolithic diet extrapolated to your whole existence, recognizing that most of what we do in our lives, from what we eat to how we exercise to how we sleep to really even our social interactions with other people, all of those things are just different and have, have changed over the last 50 years. And I'm a big, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I, I've often said that these, these phones, uh, you know, they are, they're the reason why we're seeing this massive upshift in, in fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and all of these other things. It's, it's, yes, it's diet. Yes, it's it. But it's also this, having to be on 24 seven because you're instantly connected with everybody. But at the same time, you're, you're removed from them. We're, we're, I, I watch my own children sit around when they have friends over typing on, on their phones while their friend is sitting right next to them. And, and I think to myself, that's not a human interaction. That's just bizarre. And I, I feel as if, if we get back to that sort of paleo lifestyle of, Hey, Go see your neighbors. Go sit down and talk to them. You know, eat eat as you said, food that a local farmer produced that was picked yesterday, and you're eating it today. Those things are. If we can get back to that lifestyle, sleep when the sun's up. I mean, sun down and wake when the sun's up. That sort of thing is going to be a lot more healthy for our bodies because that's how we evolved. We evolved in that kind of environment. We didn't evolve to be you know, sitting up at midnight, typing away on a computer, staring at a screen that's 10 inches from our face for hours on end. That's just not normal. Yep. 
Yep. And I think you saw a big shift for that kind of not to go back to the COVID thing, but now people working from home, right? I mean, you used to go in nine to five, you'd be done, you go home, work's done for the day. Now it's people don't turn off. They're working until 10 o'clock at night and they're more stressed than ever because they feel like they can't be turned off. It's just, there's there's the next deadline to meet. There's always something to, to do at work. So it's it's very dangerous. That working from home thing is, you know, people think, oh, it's so much more convenient. But at the same time, what are they really saying that it's convenient for? It's convenient for doing more work. It's for rolling out of bed and not even having a chance to take a shower you know, and, or have a decent breakfast because you're in front of a Zoom call, you know, and, and, and doing things that just Mother Nature didn't intend for your body and your, your metabolism and your, your mind to, to deal with. You need to have that downtime. You need to have that time of walking a mile to go see somebody because you need something. We don't do that anymore. You know, we order it by Amazon and it's it's airdropped to us by a drone. I mean, that's right, that's right. not that's not the way it's it may be convenient, it may be efficient. We gotta find ways to either get back to the way we were, or if we can't do that, and I recognize that most people are gonna say, Well, that's just, you know, that's like being a Luddite. You know, we're not we're not doing that. But then let's find some ways that we can at least incorporate some of that efficiently into our lives so that we can be more productive and healthier. So, you know, I realize we talk about that a lot, but social interaction is a big key to that. Um, Having positive social interactions with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. My wife and I, we were in Europe not too long ago and and you see more of that lifestyle there. You know, people aren't as nearly connected. Um, I mean, we, you know, you're averaging 12 miles a day, if not more than that. And people are sitting down, they're having their coffee, they're taking an hour and a half to drink their coffee in the morning, then no one's in a rush, you know, their food's local. So, you know, can we still adapt those principles and still function as humans? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? It's just, it's just the stress. I think of the American lifestyle. I think it's just, it's a lot different here than you would have in other parts of the world. And we, like you said, we have to go back to those things or else we're going to continue to get sick and sick and no one's going to get better. So, which is job security for us, but it's not a good thing for, for the rest of the world. <laughs> no, it's, and it's, and, and it's interesting to see the types of diseases that people are complaining about having now that just don't exist in places like South America and Africa and, and Southeast Asia, where people have a much more, you know, what we call sort of a third world lifestyle, but it's more the original lifestyle of, you know, not being connected by phone. So, so, constantly not eating processed foods, not eating, you know, not staying up, you know, with electric lights until, you know, one o'clock in the morning in front of a computer, they're living a different lifestyle and they're not getting fibromyalgia. They're not getting, or they're not being diagnosed with chronic fatigue. It's non-existent in those, in those, uh, those communities as, you know, migraines and, and gastrointestinal problems like IBS, they just, they just don't exist. Depression and anxiety levels are nowhere near as high. We have, we have levels in the United States right now where I think depression is one in 10 and, and anxieties are, is one in five. Um, yeah. that's, that's a terrible plague, if you will. And we need to figure out how to break it. And, and I don't think the solution is going to be accepted to simply change everything back to the way it was in the 1840s. <laughs> I think what we need to do is figure out ways in which we can, you know, using technology or using you know, just knowledge shift our our bodies back even if we don't have to shift back entirely and i don't know that that working from home is is the solution no it's making things worse it it definitely is so do you see do you see a lot of that in ohio where you are i mean obviously we're in three different locations toronto florida and ohio 
Do you, do you see that? And, and when you talk to your colleagues in other locations, do you, do you see a difference of, of the problems that they're dealing with or is it just everywhere at this point? No, I mean, I mean, it is everywhere. I mean, granted, it is everywhere. I mean, kind of across across the board, I would say, yeah. But you know, being in Ohio here, I don't know what it is. We get 120 days of sunlight a year. I mean, it's not it's nothing crazy compared to where you're at, Florida, right? So, you're seeing a lot more vitamin D deficiencies here than we would see down there. So, you know, more seasonal depression. So that kind of drives some of that, or more, you know, vitamin D deficiencies, which can affect everything from immune health to mental health. So. Um, I think geographically where you're at, you're, you'll see some different problems, but across the board, it's kind of everywhere in the United States. Sort of hoping to, to hear you say, though, no, in the Midwest, it's a little better than I hear that it is in New York or so, but. I think no, I, I think I think being down in Florida, everybody's in like swimsuits year round, so they're taking better care of themselves, right? <laughs> As opposed to here. <laughs> Although, you know, I, I will say, you know, our our uh, our response to COVID was uh, was different from other places. And you know, I'm not sure it was necessarily the political decisions. It may have just been the weather. It may just have been the fact that that people went outside and got more vitamin D as a result of sunlight than they did when they were, you know, afraid to go outside uh, in e- even during the summer up uh, in the northeast and in in the you know northern country so or states. So I don't know if that's the if that's the reason. I mean, there's there's all sorts of politics around it. We don't necessarily have to get into that, but. Uh, <laughs> But it was interesting to see that 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 the sunnier states tended not to have as as bad a problem as as some of the states that might not have gotten the same amount of just vitamin D. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are some of the lifestyle struggles that you think people can that are kind of the low hanging fruit? The the couple of things that people could do, tools they could implement to get themselves. Uh, up, moving, and and just feeling a little bit better. Uh, I like to focus on that low-hanging fruit on on calls like this. Yeah, I would say. I mean, sleep. I mean, that's just such. It's something that we all need to be doing. We need to be aiming for that seven to eight hour window. Most people around that five hour window. So that's something easy that you should be doing anyways. So I always tell people uh, eight hours. You know, at least give me seven, but uh, you know, try to aim for that that eight hour mark. An exercise standpoint, I'd like to have people just do a 10-minute walk after their, their their meals. So great for blood sugar, great for increasing energy production, will help out with sleep. So those are easy things you can add in. I also try to get people to clean up some of their, whether it's a female or female, like beauty care products too. So trying to swap to something a little more organic or natural. I always use the resource, the EWG Clean Beauty. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it yet. That's a good place to start where I have them plug in their top five things that you use every single day. So usually it's going to be some kind of shampoo, body wash, females, like a foundation. Look and see what's in there. See what it's doing to your body. And then the good thing is they give you alternatives to, to swap to. So, but those five things, you don't need to go and throw everything away and start from scratch. But at least those those five big things that you use every single day, start with those and then kind of swap those out for cleaner things. That alone will make a difference. And then getting out the sunlight, that's probably one of my favorite things too. Just especially barefoot out in the sunlight. That's even better. People sit inside all day. I just don't get it. They can't, they can't get outside. It's just like, it's like they're going to melt or something, but yeah, getting out in the morning sun is a huge thing too, that better mood quality is going to help you sleep at night. I mean, there's so many different benefits just getting that morning sunlight. So those are kind of easy things to start with. Um, I mean, there's a list of millions of them, but those are kind of the low hanging fruit, like you said. What are some of the stories that you can share with us about when patients adopt the, the the suggestions that you give them and how 
you know, some, some miraculous turnarounds that you've seen. I mean, we've, we've had a, a few other people on uh, the podcast who've, who've shared some pretty, pretty remarkable stories. So, you know, the good and the bad, if you can, if you can give us a few that, that we can sort of dig into and, and think about and, and talk through a little bit. Yeah. So I just had a patient last week. I love this story. because This is a great one. 24 year old female. She's a firefighter here in town. Um, one, one questionnaire that I always use is called the ACE study. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that at all. That looks at, it's a 10 question questionnaire. It looks at the, um, adverse childhood experiences or exposures. So it's 10 things you're exposed to as a kid. So, you know, verbal, physical abuse are on there. Parents being divorced, someone using drugs in the house, things like that. So I use that kind of as, as a screen to give me an idea. Okay. How much childhood issues are going to, am I going to have to work through and deal with? And how much can I actually help this person too? Um, Cause sometimes I have to use a, a therapist or a counselor to help me out with some of these things in order to get like to true healing. But she scored a nine out of 10, which is very, very high, very high. Parents were divorced, physical abuse, mental abuse. Mom was a heroin addict, I believe. Crack addict, I can't remember. But so anyway, she came into me and being a firefighter, obviously her schedule is kind of all over the place, but she was diagnosed with POTS. So that's a big one, which I see that more as a neurological issue um, to where that, that fight or flight, again, kind of overreactive nervous system is not working the right way. She, so she was waking up in the middle of the night. Her, her heartbeat was absolutely insane all the time. Um, difficulty breathing all the time. She was having chronic fatigue. So I, she wanted to do all this testing. She's like, I want to look at this. I want to look at this. I want to look at this. I said, no, let's not do any of that. Let's start with a couple of Vegas nerve exercises. I'm going to give you some salt and we're going to give you a B complex. And that's all I want you to talk about. And her, she thought like I was the craziest person on earth. She's like, what do you mean? This is all you're going to give me. I want to do this, this, and this. And I said, like, we got to get the foundations down first. So I think I started working with her about two months ago. She came in last week. She's like a totally different person. She's like, I don't know what you did or what's going on in my body, but I'm sleeping through the night. My heart rate's normal. I'm not getting up and almost passing out anymore. Um, I can actually digest my food. And that was just like, I was like, okay, now we can do some testing. You want to do some testing. Now we can look at some things and kind of give me an idea. But yeah, just, just the basic stuff. That's one of my favorite cases. Um, you know, from a digestive standpoint, I see a ton of people who, you know, people who go to the bathroom 10, 15, 20 times a day and they come in. Now they're going once, one or two times a day. It's consistent, you know, bowel movements. Um, those are the fun cases, the ones where you're changing somebody's life and they're not planning their whole entire day around where's the next bathroom, things like that. So I, I like those cases. I do a lot of fertility cases too. So, you know, I always joke around, like I like getting females pregnant, not that way, but, you know, helping you, helping you, you know, have a baby inside you. So those are cool things as well. So, um, you know, and, but then, but then again, kind of answer your question, you know, there's those cases where people don't get better. Right. And it could be something more underlying that we're missing, like some kind of mold toxicity or a Lyme disease, or it could be as simple as people aren't listening to you. They're not following your advice. They're not doing the basic stuff or I'm taking the supplements, but I bought them off Amazon or CVS instead of the ones that you recommended, which I know aren't good quality. So it, it's hard to wrangle patients in, but I know when, when somebody comes back and they're not better, there's either the patient's not listening, they're having a hard time following through, or there, there's something else going on a little bit deeper that we can't see that maybe needs a little bit more testing. So there's always challenging. And I always tell people too, you're, you're kind of like an onion. As we start peeling away layers, we'll find deeper and deeper stuff that we didn't even know was there until we start actually working on these kind of basics first. You know, that firefighter story reminds me of, um, of two cases. One is the case of, uh, and they both happen to be related to guests that we've had previously, but we had a guest on from, uh, from Oregon and he had a, uh, 
he had a patient who had long been dealing with for a long time who had fibromyalgia. And he had really gotten her to the point where her symptoms were really at, at that point largely dealt with. She was managing very, very well. And she went, it was as a result of a, a booster shot that she got, just completely dysregulated her. And she was back to square one. Her body was worse off than, than she had really ever been. And he was at a loss for how to manage it until, and he was really scrambling, until he started using a vagus nerve stimulator with her. And what he found was, I, and I asked him, I said, did the vagus nerve stimulator completely fix the situation? Was it a 20% fix? Did it just kick start things? He said, no, it was probably about 60 or 70% of the problems that she had were resolved with the vagus nerve stimulator, but it didn't do everything. But what it did do was it made everything else that we were doing work. Whereas it, none of those things were working prior to using the vagus nerve stimulator because the fight or flight system was so strongly engaged that it was impossible to affect any benefit with other things that should have been helpful. And I, I, that really stuck with me because it was, as you said to the patients, like, let's get the foundation working first. Let's get that fixed. And, And the way I think about it is if you're, if you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to go from point A to point B and you, you find you can't get there, it might not be anything about you. It might be the, the fact that there's a hundred mile an hour wind that's blowing in your face as you're trying to get from point A to point B. Let's turn that off first. And then you'll find that actually getting from point A to point B is just a matter of walking. I mean, yep. it's, it's not that difficult. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that. I think the other case that I find really interesting, sorry about the dog barking in the background. We, I am at home. But one of the things that I find, you know, was we had a, 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 a nurse practitioner who was on who has joint hypermobility, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And she was really a textbook case of all the different problems, um, neurologic, physiologic, digestive, reproductive that come along with that. And when she was introduced to vagus nerve stimulation, she, she sort of sought it out. She herself had already figured out that, that was going to be beneficial, but it had such a transformative effect on her. Everything from, you know, food sensitivities to uh, hot water induced pots to frankly, she ultimately was able to get pregnant and, and, and have a child. And she credits all of that to literally getting that basic state of her body into a different mode. And once you can do that, anything else is possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, I mean, you can't heal in that state, right? Clearly. I mean, you can't, you, can you get a little better and see some improvement? But yeah, if you're not shifting your back, your body all the way back to where it needs to be, you're never going to get 100%. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think a lot of medications that, that are out there right now are designed to mask symptoms as opposed to truly get to the underlying problem and fix it. I think that masking a problem is impossible if it's, it's like trying to put a Band-Aid on, you know, on a, a, you know, a a stab wound. I mean, it's not going to work. I mean, the the problem goes much deeper, it's much bigger, and it's just, it's not going to help. So I'm a big believer in getting to that root cause, which I know is, is sort of at the core of what you guys do. But I think that we have to identify what that root cause is. I mean, so... So for me, the root cause is sort of this triangle, if you will. You have the autonomic nervous system, you have your immune function, 
and you have your mitochondrial health. And when you bring those three things together in homeostasis, then you've got your, you're in parasympathetic mode. You've got your immune system doing all of the homeostatic tasks that your immune cells are supposed to be doing. And that's, that's something I think that a lot of people don't realize is the role that the immune system plays in your, in your health goes far beyond. In fact, it's, it's actually really probably a 99% not associated with fighting pathogens or, you know, otherwise or healing from injury. It's maintaining the proper function of all of your tissues in your body, whether it's your brain, your, your, your digestive system, your liver, your heart, your, your blood vessels, even your bones. All mm-hmm. of that is really being maintained by your macrophages. Uh, they're members of your innate immune system, and we talk about it a lot. But getting them to function properly and getting them to be able to function properly because you're in oxidative phosphorylation, you know, it's working very efficiently. Your mitochondria are, are not under, you know, under stress. But if you get into that inflamed state, that parasympathetic or the sympathetically activated state where you're in fight or flight mode, everything just devolves. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a state that if you're, if you're in, in that mode for too long, you are going to be ill. You are going to have problems. Your, your systems are going to be degenerating. You could make yourself prone to all sorts of different conditions, even beyond things like fibromyalgia. I mean, the, the, to really horrible degenerative neurological conditions and cardiovascular health problems. And it's so simple that if you can move yourself back out of that state into, and it's not always easy to do, but if you can just do that one thing, 70, 80% of your problem is going to become, if not resolved, it's going to be easier to solve. It's going to be responsive to other things. So I know I just, I just ranted there a little bit, but I love it. I love it. <laughs> so any other, any other stories or of patients that, uh, that you've, you've seen where something, you know, maybe a challenging situation where doing that, what I just said, isn't enough and, and nothing changed. And it wasn't simply because they weren't paying attention. Was there something, you know, that, that's been sort of a really stickler case that you solved and here's the interesting way it got solved. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there's another guy that comes to mind. Um, he's like a 48 year old male, um, high executive, um, him and his wife went swimming in a lake. They were traveling. They were stopped at a lake here in Ohio and went swimming. And ever since then he got, he was diagnosed with chronic fatigue. He got super sick. He was a banker. I'm trying to remember. He worked at a bank. So ex- executive in a bank, his fatigue got so bad, lost his job, started working at McDonald's because he couldn't hold down a job, lost that job. Because his fatigue was just so bad, the 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 symptoms he was having digestively, he went to from neurologist to neurologist to neurologist to all these doctors, Cleveland Clinic down to Mayo. I mean, he you name it, he's basically <laughs> lost all his money trying trying to solve this thing. And I told him, I was like, "Well, you probably got a parasite." He had all these parasites tests rolled out and this and that. And I'm like, "No, you, you probably still have a parasite, even though you know they told you told you no." And on top of this, obviously, this was causing chronic stress in his body, right? He lost pretty much his life savings trying to figure this out. He lost a really good paying job trying to figure this out. So on top of this, the stress just coupled and kind of crippled him. So we started working on doing some parasite cleansing, things like that. He was getting better. 
But I told him, I said, hey, you have to work on this stress component of this too, because obviously over the last two years, you're trying to figure this out. Your stress has gone to the roof. You sold your house, you sold your car, you, you lost all your life savings, you've lost your job now. So that was one case where, where I got him somewhat better through the parasite cleansing and we did good. But that's where like the final hump or kind of getting more of the edge there was working on that vagus nerve, get him shifted into that, you know, that rest and digest as best as possible. So that's another case that 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 was good, but it took a while to figure out because, you know, in my in the back of my mind, I didn't I'm focused on parasites, not focusing on, okay, what about your lifestyle that you've lost, the money that you've lost, the car, the house. You're lucky your wife stayed with you through this whole thing. But once we finally layered in that 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 part of working on his stress levels and knocking things down, that's when he finally kind of got over the hump. He's back to working a job now. He's building his wealth back up, which is good. He's back into the bank. So those are good things. You know, you don't always get credit for those things. But, um, you know, and, and when I told me he had a parasite, he's like, no, neurologist rule these things out. You're crazy. I don't have that. I'm like, come on, man, just listen to me. Like, let, let me, what, what else you, what else you have to lose at this point? You have nothing. You tried everything else. You spent all this money on on all these other medications and all these other testing. So let's just do this. And we, I didn't even test them for parasites. I said, Hey, let's just, let's just do this and, and do, do a killing. And then, and then later, like I said, that last piece of that stress component, that was a huge kind of breakthrough that got him over the edge. You know, it's funny that 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 reminds me of a story that, um, again, one of the really great mentors for me along the way on this path of learning about uh, functional medicine and, and integrative medicine um, is another chiropractor, Dr. David Yoder, who I remember this is years ago. He told me a uh, a really a story that sort of almost sort of sw- flipped the switch for me. He was talking about a patient he uh, had who was um, probably in his early 60s, relatively good shape man, had this sort of impossible to solve problem of a rash on his legs. It was painful. It prevented him from being able to you know, exercise at times. It was uh, always an irritant. It was causing him, really, it, it was debilitating for him. And and he'd gone to all sorts of dermatologists and other people to try to figure out whether or not it was, you know, anything from, you know, a, a dermatological problem to a cardiovascular problem to, to, you know, whatever. And he showed up and the very first question that David Yoder asked was, it's, it was sort of a twist on the how long has this been happening? He said, what was happening in your life when this started? And the guy went back years in his mind. And he said, you know, it started and he relayed this horrible story about how he had been called from Northern California down to Southern California to try to find out what had happened to his son. Um, They were searching for his son. The police, it wasn't long enough that the police were involved, but they, he went down to LA and found that his son had committed suicide and was in his, uh, in this, in his apartment. And it had gotten, it would have been several days and it had gotten really kind of unseemly. It was really not a very pleasant situation. And that there had been bugs and that he had been bitten by the bugs and he had to be there while the police were, you know, were going through the the scene, et cetera. And that it was really, you know, that was the beginning of when he had this rash. So rather than think, okay, well, maybe there's a parasite associated with a bug that bit you or he said, have you been through grief counseling for that horrible situation? I'm sorry that that happened in your life, but have you been through grief counseling? 
And the man broke down and he said no, that he had never been through any kind of uh, neurological or, or psychological completion of that horrible time in his life. And within days of beginning grief therapy, the rash completely cleared up. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and it's that idea that you, it's, we talk about fight or flight a lot with that sympathetic activation, but there's a third piece of it, which is freeze, fight, flight, or freeze. And in situations where you have that severe psychological trauma, it is literally possible for your body to freeze mm -hmm. in that state that he was in. And it wasn't until he was able to thaw out, if you will, from that and, and relieve, you know, relieve himself of that psychological problem, that trauma, that his body was able to heal. So I found that, that to be a really, I mean, un, un, almost unbelievable, but, but fascinating story about the power of the nervous system to control the body and the immune system which I had known before, but I, it really hit home with that story. Yeah, sort of emotions. Yeah, I mean, sort of emotions. I mean, you get that a lot, right? And I've seen that in patients where it's like, okay, we're working on one thing. Well, all of a sudden, my hip pain's gone, which you never even told me about to begin with. But as we start working on your stress levels and working on some of these things, yeah, other parts of the body start to improve that I had no, no idea even, you know, that, that we were working on to begin with. So you, you do see these emotions stored a lot, especially in chiropractic work. You see that a lot, too you know, things that come up from childhood. That's like, I've had patients cry on my table before. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, well, you, you helped me with this that we didn't even know I was working on to begin with, but you know, there are, you adjust someone's atlas and then they're, they're all of a sudden they have flashbacks of something from childhood. And it's this, it's amazing what the body, you know, the body keeps score. like that classic book. It's, it's so true. And you don't realize the impact you have on somebody until like these things start popping up and, and people start sharing those things with you. Yeah. We yeah, all have these, uh, open wounds right and sometimes those wounds are so deep and we want we need to heal wounds and we when we think of these wounds we think of them in a physical manifestation but a lot of them are open emotional wounds that need closure and in this case jp that you're talking about from david yoder it like very clearly it was an open wound that had not yet been closed or not had any uh, support to be able to close it. It had been in a state, or, or his body had been in such a state that it was unable to to close up. And once he was able to start doing the work of uh, feeling that closure occur, that his body was able to actually uh, repair and recover. Yeah, you know, it's funny that the, even I'm a stickler for language, and I love the fact that we use the term emotional wound. And when you have a, you know, when you fall down a skin your knee, there's a wound on your knee. And it's not surprising to us that our immune system gets involved in healing that wound. But when we have an emotional trauma, we don't automatically think about the fact that the immune system is activated. The immune system responds to stress. It responds to stress, whether it's emotional, mental, physical, any kind of stress, it's going to respond. Sleep deprivation is a stress that activates the immune system just the same way you know, a, an emotional trauma does, a physical abuse as a child, you know, and that memory and that PTSD is triggering an immune response. So it's not, to me, I, I now realize that if you can solve the emotional problem the neural, at the neurologic level, you're also going to solve the immune problem because, and again, it's, it, it may be a, a, seem like it's a different part of the body where the, you're experiencing that problem. But 
yet the same time, we don't have a problem thinking about the fact that when we have a respiratory infection, where there's a, a virus in our respiratory tract, that it might make us, you know, have aches and pains in our lower back and our legs or, or might make our stomach upset and give us nausea. It might give us a headache. Why is a virus that's sitting here somewhere in our trachea causing my ankle, you know, to hurt the way it did when I sprained it four years ago? Why am I suddenly having these, these pains? It's because inflammation isn't just localized. There's messaging that either is happening through the circulation or through the nervous system that's activating a, a, a almost a, a parallel experience immunologically in our central nervous system. That's what brain fog is all about. We talk about brain fog as a result of you know, things like uh, rheumatoid arthritis or brain fog associated with COVID now. You know, these things, th there's a, an effect on the central nervous system that is parallels what's happening in the central, in, in the body. A, a great animal study that I'll, and then I promise I won't monologue. Great animal study that I really found fascinating was that if you take LPS, lipopolysaccharide, you know, a potent trigger of the immune system, and you inject it into the, into the abdomen, of an animal, the threshold for having a seizure is lowered so that it becomes easier to cause a seizure in an animal. And that's a central nervous system thing, having a, a seizure. And yet it's inflammation in the, in the belly that's triggering, making that more possible. So no question, inflammation that's peripheral can go central and central, central inflammation can then lead to peripheral problems. That's why 90% of people who have fibromyalgia, which is you know, all about pain, oftentimes have unresolved childhood abuse, you know, either physical or sexual abuse as a child. And that is something that's, it's, it's, it's not physically happening to the person anymore, but it's still existing in the central nervous system. And as a result, it's having an, an, an immune effect up here that's having a, uh, an effect on the body uh, in terms of pain. You're, you're, anyway, with your, with your, I'm sure you have fibromyalgia patients because it's, you know, three to 5% of the population. Um, what are some of the tricks of the trade that you have on dealing with fibromyalgia? Because that's, you know, it's amazing to me that the responses that I get on social media is so much, um, so many of them, such a disproportionate number of those people who are actively looking for help are, are talking about fibromyalgia. So I'm just wondering if you've got any tricks of the trade that we could share. Yeah, I see a lot of yeast overgrowth with, with, with fibromyalgia. So I'll see a lot of those. That's a pretty common thing, especially, you know, through gut testing. So I'm always looking at the gut. I want to figure out what's going on there um, from an immune standpoint, from an inflammation standpoint, and then looking at things like yeast or funguses. I, I always try to jump to some kind of, of, of mitochondrial support. So you know, we do any NAD drips in here or NAD injections, or even I'll have somebody take an NMN, you know, um, not prescription, but sub, like uh, a supplementation to start working on building things back up. Usually we'll do some kind of amino acid therapy too. So usually that's in supplement form as well. We're having them taking that daily, just kind of simulate those mitochondria again, get those working. But again, I'm always looking at the gut too. I want to figure out what's going on in there. Um, if it is a yeast thing, then we go into, you know, a yeast protocol I also see a lot of liver detox problems there too. So it's a big one I'll see. Uh, toxins get stored in the body, which then can damage the mitochondria, which then can cause these symptoms come about. So 
you know, at least historically, what I see, you know, female is obviously more common with the fibromyalgia. Uh, female is more prone to gallbladder and liver issues. So those kind of go hand in hand with that too. But those are the big ones I'm looking at mitochondria health, you know, gut health from a yeast standpoint, uh, and then liver detoxification. So I'm always looking at those guys to figure out where things are. What about melatonin? We, we, we've talked on, on the podcast about the importance of melatonin as sort of a, you start with tryptophan as one of those amino acids, serotonin production, serotonin production gets distorted based on inflammation. If you don't make serotonin, you don't have melatonin and melatonin is such an important component of mitochondrial health. Do, do you do any supplementation of, of melatonin or, or how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I, Personally, I don't use a lot of melatonin. That's kind of like my last kind of go-to, especially if it's a sleep issue thing. Now, if I run a Dutch test on somebody and I see their melatonin is completely, you know, gone and depleted, then sure, there's a time and place for it. But um, I like using 5-HTP. That's just for any kind of brain issues or any kind of sleep issues. I, I tend to jump to that first. Um, before before I jump into going and then using the melatonin, but there is a lot of positive research come about about melatonin recently. You know, there there isn't that negative feedback loop, so you can't overdo it on melatonin. Uh, where people thought that it would actually shut down production naturally, now that we know that's not true. But do I personally use a lot of it? I don't. If I travel and I have jet lag, I'll take melatonin. But that's that's for that that's a different situation. But but you're using five HTP, which is you know, you know, it's actually two steps up, but it's one, you know, one important step up yep. from melatonin. And, and that's just two steps up for, or down from, uh, from tryptophan. Do you do a lot of tryptophan supplementation? Depending. Yes and no. So I would turn to like my organic acid test for that to kind of give me an idea where things are because historically patients seem to do a little bit better. And from absorption standpoint, they seem to do a little bit better with 5-HTP. And that's why I kind of jumped to that over the tryptophan first, but it, it's, patient dependent too. Like if, if someone comes in and, Hey, I feel crappy on five HTP. Okay. Well, maybe we can try some tryptophan and see how you do. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't always jump to that, but that's kind of my go-to when I'm dealing with kind of some kind of brain issue, whether it's trying to increase serotonin production or melatonin production. Well, it's also, I mean, tryptophan is upstream, but it also can, the alternative pathway of, of metabolism will take it down into sort of the pro pro ROS or reactive oxygen species promotion or um, so it's probably safer to to start it at the 5-HTP level. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of alignment here with me as well. I don't use a lot of melatonin as a, as a therapeutic tool. Um, again, very, very rarely if I run a Dutch and there's almost no melatonin production, but I find the 5-HTP is a great tool. And uh, you mentioned it earlier, but that first morning sunlight, getting out in the sun, getting the serotonin activation occurring, fixing up the gut because we know that 95% of the serotonin in our body is actually produced as a, as a byproduct of the microbiome and it, it resides within the gut. It'll make its way up to the brain. But um, if we are able to activate that serotonin, activate that circadian rhythm with the light coming into the eye, then uh, and ideally watching the sun rise, watching the sun set, getting that serotonin to melatonin production really working and utilizing melatonin only when it's absolutely necessary. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So I, I completely concur. And even go back, Ken, you know, that's a free thing, right? Watching that sunlight in the morning and the sunset at night, that's something that <laughs> doesn't cost money. You don't have to do testing for it and you can just implement it right away. But it's, it's hard to get the people to do that with those things. Absolutely. 
it's hard to get people to do many things. I've got four yeah. kids, I know what that's <laughs> like. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Amazing. Any final thoughts on uh, just supporting the individual kind of responsibility that that for those who are listening today, anybody that feels like they're they're struggling, but they're almost ready to make that shift to take on that responsibility for their own health. What are uh, a few points that you can give them to say you're capable and you should absolutely do it? Yeah, I, I mean, no one's going to care more about your health than yourself, right? I mean, your doctor won't, your spouse won't. So ultimately, when you're ready to make that decision, I, I think it's a good thing to have, you know, whether it's a health coach or a functional medicine practitioner or somebody there to help you through that process, because it's a lot. I mean, you, you're like drinking through a fire hose sometimes when you try to start implementing these things. So having somebody that can help you guide you through baby steps, you know, let's start increasing our water intake. Let's start cleaning up our diet. Let's start cleaning up, you know, our beauty care products. So I think it is important to have somebody to work with. Um, and that can be in, in any, you know, any realm, like I said, a health coach or, or, or functional medicine or, you know, a nutritionist, whoever it is, but um, having somebody that's going to examine your whole life though, not just one aspect, not just looking at your nutrition, but looking at, okay, are you sleeping? Are you exercising? Are you doing those right things? So I, I, and I tell people that, I mean, I have somebody that I work with. I mean, I, I think coaches need coaches and doctors need doctors because, you know, we're our own, own worst enemies sometime. So I don't think it's, it's not shameful to ask for help or have somebody guide you through these things. Um, if you're ready to make that change, it's great. But again, you know, ultimately you're gonna be the one that's going to be making these, things. I can tell you to do everything under the sun, but are you going to actually be willing to implement these things and actually do them? So if you're there ready to make the change, that's a perfect time. And that's where meeting somebody halfway is a good thing too. Harking back to that, um, that sort of 80% of the benefit comes from 20% of the things you do um, and boiling it down. So as you know, as we're just talking about now, it's, it's difficult to get people to, to start. You yeah. know, once that, once that inertia is overcome and you're starting to move, then maybe you can keep the ball rolling if there's positive feedback. What would be, if you had to boil it down to, and, and I think I, I think you've sort of hinted at this earlier, but if you had to boil it down to the top three or five things, you know, on one hand, you know, what are the, you know, what's the thumb, the index finger, write down the top five things that you say to people, you got to do this. It's relatively simple to do. You know, maybe it's walking around with a water bottle and making certain you're drinking from it all day. Maybe that's one. But what are the five things that you would say? These are the easy things to do. You're going to get a huge percentage of the benefit that we're looking for out of just these simple five things. You know, you, you can put it on a slide and put it on Instagram and say, this is, this is all the teachings you need. Just do these five things. Sort of like, you know, so Hippocrates said, you know, you know, all first, you know, food is your first medicine. Just make it food. What, what is it for, for you? Yeah. So hydration would be number one. Uh, well, not in no certain order. I should say this. So, but hydration would be an easy thing. So start your morning with some good water you know, add some lemon salt in there, make sure you're getting the proper hydration. That's an easy, simple thing to do. Make sure you're drinking water throughout the course of the day. Clean up your diet. So that would be, again, trying to eat as much local food as possible, reducing as much processed inflammatory food as you possibly can. Number three would be sleep, making sure you're sleeping that seven, eight hour window every single night. Number four would be let's move your body daily. So whether that's a walk after dinner, whether it's, uh, I'm not a fan of CrossFit, but whether it's CrossFit or weights or whatever it is, you know, some kind of something to move your body every single day is another big one. Um, and then number five would be, okay, let's work on stress. So whether that's Vegas nerve exercises, whether that's talking to a therapist or a counselor or whatever it is, something that you do have to manage your stress. 
And I had to add in, if I threw in a pinky on the other hand, I would say watch toxin exposure too. That'd be my number six thing. Those are, those are great, uh, great suggestions. And I, along the lines of the fifth one where you said reducing stress, I'm a big believer in getting out and, and being with friends, being yep. with family, uh, spending some quality time with people in, you know, in a non-stressful environment. That's what, that's what villages were like in, you know, 150 years ago. People walked down the street and just spent time talking to somebody. I know they had a lot of, a lot of other things that they had to do with their lives, but they had the time to eat with their friends and family. They, they spent time, they went to church, they did things that were communal, community-based, not all, you know, individual lone wolf things that we're all doing now. So that's, I, I'm just putting a pitch in for that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with him. That's, that's number seven. If I had, if I had one more finger, that'd be number seven. <laughs> love These are all great uh, strategies. I'm really, really honored to have had you on here for our recording today. And, uh, for those who are still listening, thanks for coming through here. And please share this episode with anybody that you feel could utilize this information. And once again, thank you so much for joining Dr. Sorelli. I appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Thank you.